Boy Mets fans, welcome to episode 216 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and I am very glad to be joining you on this uh, very, very shortened edition of the show. I realize that sometimes I say it's a short episode of the show, and it's like, you know, five minutes less than usual, but this one really is very short. We only have two segments. The first one is myself and Chris McShane talking about the uh, the end of the winter meetings, and uh, we answered listener email, and uh, not much more. So here we go. All right, Chris and I are here with the uh, the shortened edition of the podcast yet again. We have one email we're going to get to, and this comes from Dave. With the prospect of a series being played in the UK being raised again recently, and the rumor being it would be the Mets that would feature... Do you, think the Met, do you think baseball can catch holes in the UK the same way the NFL has done? And what is your reaction to the possibility of the Mets playing a series there? Good for expanding the franchise, grow the fan base, or a complete waste of time? Would certainly be a good trip for the Seven Lion Army, LOL. I am myself a Scottish Mets fan living in Ireland, and would say the Mets are one of the more popular teams over here, along with the Yankees, Red Sox, and Giants. Look forward to your thoughts on this. Let's go Mets. Dave Harper. Um... I have to plead a small bit of ignorance here. I don't know how big the NFL is in the UK. I know when they play over there, they sell out the stadium, but that's not necessarily an indicator of sort of sustained popularity. Do you know how well the NFL has done overseas? Um, Yeah, my familiarity is similar with the actual games. So basically what you said, that anytime they do anything there, it, it, it sells out right away. Uh, they seem to be into it. So, you know, that combined with someone who uh, is much closer to those games than, than we are, uh, saying that it's been successful, I'll, I'll take him at his word on, on that, uh, you know. So, in that context, like, you know, the they started with doing, I think, one game per season there, and then they expanded to... You know, what, what was it two, four? I'm not even sure. It, it's I would say less than five, probably. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's several. It's certainly more than one at this point. So, uh, my Giants fandom comes first in football for me. So I know the Giants played in London this year, but general NFL, uh, I, I just don't do the same way as general baseball. Right. Stuff. Same. Same here. So I can tell you a lot about the Giants, and, and I'm not an expert on the rest. But if we assume that the NFL is uh, gaining in popularity, you know, the novelty hasn't worn off in the games they've played there yet, certainly. Uh, so I think that has to be an encouraging sign for them trying to get people into the game there. Uh, I really don't see any reason that baseball couldn't do the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, it's... American football is just that, you know, it's not like they, there have been leagues in other places and everything, but you know, it's not something that like there's a, you know, a British league that exists and then the NFL is just the better version of it. It, It's a a sport that isn't really there uh, on on a professional level. So yeah, I don't see any reason baseball couldn't do it Uh, in terms of the Mets being involved. Uh, I I'd support it. You know, it would be a little bit of a bummer to lose a, a series at City Field if it were considered, you know, Mets home games. Right. But 
you know, it's uh, it's not that far of a flight. They do much crazier travel. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where I think you'd probably want to send a team there either just before or after the All-Star break. Yeah, or at the very start of the season. Yeah, that's true. They, that's what they've done for the, uh, you know, opening games internationally. Exactly, yeah. them. Uh, so yeah, it's, I'd be into it. I don't think it's a waste of time at all. Uh, you know, I, does it turn the Mets into the most popular baseball team in the UK? I don't know, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're, it, it would be fun to see. So I'm, I'm generally supportive, uh, you know, to your point, if they, aim for the start of the season or coming off the all-star break is kind of similar. Um, you know, you can line up someone and obviously the Mets should do what the Mets think is best for them and being, you know, and being able to win games. But if you could get like Syndergaard, DeGrom and a healthy Harvey, hypothetically in, in a, you know, three game series in the UK, that would be the kind of thing that, you know, I think might get some eyeballs. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the, it's, it's probably a little easier since they're in the same time zone to have it be like a Mets national series or something along those lines. But, you know, if the Mets are one team, I would love to see them make the angels make the trek <laughs> just to, you know, if you're going to do that sort of thing to me, Mike Trout should be in that game or those games. You know, like if you're trying to export the game, uh, the the best player in it should probably be playing in front of those people. I think. Yeah, I I can't fault you for that. So I mean, I want the Mets to do well. I'd like to see them challenge him, but if they could, you know, win the series, uh, take two or three, and Trout hits maybe a couple home runs, but doesn't cost them all the games. I think that would be a an okay outcome. Yeah, I again forgive my cultural ignorance here. I don't know. I know at one time it was quite popular in England. I don't know if cricket still has a big following in England or not. And not that baseball and cricket are exactly the same game. They're quite, quite different. But I would think that there would be... That there's more similarities between baseball and cricket than there are between soccer and football. Yeah. So if, you know, if you're going to try and and sell it to the British, there's probably worse ways to do it than to play up the sort of aesthetic similarity to cricket, if you wanted to do that. Um, I also think, you know, one of the things that is just the reality of the world we live in right now, you know, the uh, former host of this podcast, Jeff Paternostro, is a huge uh, soccer fan, and there are bars in Manhattan and most major cities that show a lot of European soccer games. That wasn't possible 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, possibly. And so I think that baseball is smart for trying to expand now because if there is a pocket in London of big baseball fans, I'm sure there's a couple of establishments they could go to to watch the games. And so it seems like this is a smart time to to build the uh, the popularity overseas because the experience of getting the games is so much easier than it's ever been. Yeah. I don't know what the MLB.TV international rules are, but... Uh, I, think, I think they're pretty wide open uh you know i don't know if there's restrictions in any specific places but i i know 
if you're outside the U.S., you're considered, I think, out of market for 100% of the games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> U.S. and Canada, I should say. Uh, but, yeah, it would be fascinating if it did catch on in that kind of way. You know, I mean, day games would be one thing because it would be just regular nighttime there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, night games, if it became popular enough, you know, soccer fans here who are watching European games get up at 7.30 sometimes on a on a weekend to go to the bar and drink and watch soccer. <laughs> right. So it'd be fascinating to see that flipped and see, you know, like a, a really lively Mets bar where people get there at midnight. Uh, what time, this is something that I want, I want to actually be able to answer. When do bars close in London? Very early. Ah, there's, there is something of a, uh, there is something of a culture of clubs, and I don't mean clubs like dance clubs. I mean like there are uh, there's a law on the books where you can still serve liquor if you belong to a club. Okay. Like to you can sell liquor to members. So a lot of pubs in England will sell you a one night membership, so that you can keep drinking like later on in the, in the evening. But I believe there's a limited number of those clubs that are open. So Gosh. you know, I, I think that night games would be pretty hard to uh, to drink during versus getting up early here and going to a bar. Right. Okay. So the 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 big events then would have to be the Sunday day games. Yeah. <laughs> Which especially I because guess the, is appropriate. Yeah, and especially because the Mets seem to have eliminated all their Saturday day games this past year, or most of them at least. Yeah, and that's that's been a general trend, I think, in baseball. But yeah. but yeah, so. We're on board. Uh, if it happens, I'd love. I've I've not been there yet. I would. Neither have I. That'd be a fun excuse to go. It would, and uh, I would probably know what time the bars closed if I had been there. <laughs> yeah. If uh, if Eric is listening, we will gladly cover it for the podcast. Yes. Uh, you know, expenses paid, etc. But. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's it for our emails. You can always email the show podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. There really isn't that much going on, as you know, Chris, before the uh, you know holiday break. But one rumor that has been picking up steam is that the Mets are potentially interested in acquiring a center fielder, an everyday center fielder. And um, the name of Andrew McCutcheon has come up as one of the potential targets. I know McCutcheon was part of my AAOP, uh, but I, I wasn't allowed to bring back Cespedes, so that's part of the reason why I had McCutcheon in there. But what do you think generally about the idea of the Mets trading for an everyday center fielder? Do you think that there's a case to be a strong case to be made for that, or do you see this as just another potential body in the outfield that we're going to have to struggle to find playing time for? I understand why people have a desire to see an upgrade, uh, you know, something a little more certain uh, than a Granderson-Ligaris platoon, which is essentially what we're looking at right now, uh, with maybe a little dash of Conforto in center. I'd really like to see Conforto, you know, not have to play center field at all. Agreed. Uh, it's not an insult to him, but it, it, it when he's playing, uh, he should be in right, and Cespedes should be in left every day. Uh, you know, if Cespedes needs a day off and Conforto slides over there, that's fine. Uh, but... But yeah, in terms of external trade targets, McCutcheon, you know, it's uh, Jesse Spector had a piece uh, on the Hardball Times that 
I thought was interesting. It wasn't really a new topic. Uh, it was talking to players, and you could, you know, he'd put this together clearly over the course of covering different games, and, you know, talking to a variety of players about the same thing, and then wrote this now. Uh, but talking to elite defensive center fielders about defensive metrics. And, of course, none of them buy any of them. They all think they're stupid. Even right. the ones who I'm, – I'm not saying that their talent wouldn't be recognized without them, but – The ones even, who for whom the metrics confirm the eye test. Yeah, and strengthen their case to make a lot of money. Um, so, you know, that topic, players not really uh, either buying or being interested in metrics like that it's always fascinating and there is a gray area with them you know so i it's with mccutcheon in particular because the you know charlie blackman is one of the other guys whose name uh has been thrown out there speculatively i think uh with, with the mets potential desire to upgrade in center field um you know how much do you buy i certainly don't buy that mccutcheon is toast as a hitter and you know, I, I I know that defensive skill can erode, and I watched Carlos Beltran be an amazing defender in center, and I've seen him in right field in the last two or three years, and, you know, there's a massive drop-off there. But is McCutcheon there yet? You know, I, I don't think anybody can declare that definitively. Uh, and I know, you know, his greater defensive numbers came earlier, but... I would be very high on him. I'd be okay with him playing center fields. Uh, and, and I think the bat's going to be just fine. But I just don't see a trade happening. I mean, you know, when you hear what they were looking to get from the Nationals for him, what, what do the Mets give up that gets them McCutcheon without just burning, you know, probably one of their major league arms uh, from the starting rotation, and probably either Rosario or Conforto, uh, and you know, all of those things sound like deal breakers. Agreed. Yeah, you know, again, I, I like McCutcheon quite a bit. Actually, I think he's a he would be a really nice player to acquire. The price is too high. I think that the Mets are not in a position right now where they necessarily need another outfielder to juggle around. And I know that this is this will be predicated on them trading Bruce or Granderson or both players. I, I'm aware of that. But it doesn't seem to me to be the best allocation of their resources. Like you said, they're going to have to give up some considerable talent to to get that. To get someone like McCutcheon or Charlie Blackman or something like that. Here's my argument against it. Let's say for a second that it is going to take Steven Matz and Michael Conforto to get you McCutcheon. If that's the case, there's a very real possibility that Michael Conforto this year or possibly next year is equal to to current day Andrew McCutcheon offensively. It's an optimistic projection, but it's not a crazy projection. So you're, right. So, well, yeah, that that sort of goes back to I think a, a similar scenario from a couple months ago where I said, you know, who has the better twenty? Uh, geez, what year is it? About three? Twenty seventeen. Yeah. 
season, uh, Neil Walker or Daniel Murphy. Right, exactly, yeah. S- same kind of thing where, you know, if you were betting, you'd bet on Murphy. In that case, you'd bet on McCutcheon, I think, Yeah. in yeah. this case. But it's not crazy to consider maybe Conforto has a better season uh, at the plate. Right, yeah. So then you're trading, You're then you're essentially doing a swap for an older outfielder with eroding skills, and you're giving up a starting pitcher in there. You know, no, granted, that's not guaranteed, but it just seems to me that's not the type of move the Mets make in the offseason. I could see them making a, a similarly uh, questionable move in the middle of the season if they felt like they needed something right now to clinch the division or something like that. I still wouldn't approve of it, but I would understand it more. At this point in the in the offseason, they've essentially done the thing everyone wanted them to do. They brought back Walker. They brought back Cespedes. If the team is healthy, it looks quite good offensively and quite good from a pitching standpoint. So I don't think this is necessarily the time to to, to make this move. You know, And I, I think... Everyone who's advocating for it is is realizing that this probably isn't going to happen, and yeah. uh, and that's okay. But it's you know it's December twenty second. We have to talk about something, so these are the things we talk <laughs> about. Um, any other baseball related things you want to get to before we get to our little year end talk? I uh, no, I think we're we'll, we'll dive in. Uh, I'll let you introduce the playlist. Yeah, so um, <laughs> we're, we're going to have, uh, in the show notes, when the episode goes live, we're going to have a link to a Spotify playlist. Uh, Chris and I are, are both big uh, music people. We Chris goes to a million more shows than I do. Um, but I listened to almost 400 albums this year, so... Which is uh, that? That's crazy. It is crazy. My friend, <laughs> my friend Vince, essentially uh, challenged me to keep pace with him, and he listened to almost five hundred. So I didn't quite keep pace, but I listened to a lot of music. So both of us really love music, and we thought maybe a fun way to sort of wrap up the year was to put together a Spotify playlist of some of our favorite songs from this year. So why don't we go like song for song here? You you name the song. And then I'll name one of my songs, and uh, and we'll go from there. And then we'll, uh, you should go and listen to them, you know, at your leisure. Whether it's on the way to to a family party this weekend, or you know, if you're off a couple of days next week, sitting around enjoying your new toys, you know, listen to these tracks. We think they're pretty great. So why don't you start us off, Chris? What's what's the first song for you? Sure, uh, the Wheel by PJ Harvey, uh, the best song on a, on a good record, <clears throat> a good record that took a little bit of time to grow on me but certainly the best song from it. Uh, I agree with that. So that that's where I start. Okay, I will start with... Um, let's, go, let's go positive. 2016 was, was a bad year for a lot of reasons, and uh, one of the most optimistic albums I heard this year was uh, Chance the Rapper's Coloring Book. So let's go with How Great from, uh, from Coloring Book by Chance the Rapper. I will follow that up. I'm making mine uh, in real time, by the way. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. So I, I'm just playing off what you're giving me. So Okay. All right. Yeah. I still have to give him uh, more of a chance, but... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> oh, God. No, oh, that was an unintentional pun. <laughs> it wasn't? Yeah, no, that was... <clears throat> maybe I should give him a chance to rap. <laughs> there we go. Oh, boy. All right. Well, if you're still listening... Uh, <laughs> Followed up with a, a hip hop song uh, off a tribe called Quest's excellent record, This Generation. Uh, tough to pick one, 
there are a lot of great ones, but something about the <clears throat> excuse me, something about the overall sound of that one uh, made it my my one to go to for this. Yeah, that's a that's a great album. Uh, quite quite good. Um, all right, I am going to go with uh, Walter Martin. He used to be in the Walkmen. He released a solo album this year, uh, which I really 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 enjoyed. It uh, it's called Arts and Leisure, and a lot of it is about uh, specific artwork and like insp- he wrote songs about uh, pieces of artwork. Uh, my favorite song on the album is called Watson and the Shark. So that's what we'll go with next. Okay, nice. Uh, I'll follow it up with a song called Crucifixion off a record by a band called Giraffe Tongue Orchestra. Uh, I am not, this was not one of the 400 albums. Oh, well, there you go. I'm excited to hear Uh, this. So, my connection to it is uh, William Duvall, who is the lead singer since Alice in Chains reformed. Uh, He was in his own band previously called Comes with the Fall that was excellent. Uh, so this is a new side project of his. There's a guy from Mastodon in it. I think a guy who was in the Mars Volta. Oh, I've read about this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and one or two others. Uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, I like that song a lot. Uh, it's it's a good one to, to start with. And again, everything I'm picking is from an album that I would recommend the whole thing. So yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good. Uh, way to go! So we're not recommending, you know, like one uh, one song in a, uh, in, a <laughs> in a crappy album. That'd be a weird a weird tactic to take. But uh, all right, so I will go with. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to like match the moods here, you know. So with that, how would you describe that song? Uh, heavy, loud, energetic. What? Like heavy, loud. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not Slayer, but right. <laughs> it's you know, it's a it's a loud, fast moving rock song. All right, then I'm gonna uh, pair that with uh, the band Twin Peaks. They're a Chicago band. The first song off their 2016 album, uh, the song is called "Walk to the One You Love." It's sort of garage rocky, fun stuff. Okay, nice. I uh, I will have to check that out. They're great. Yeah. Um... So next for me, Untitled 08 off Kendrick Lamar's Untitled Unmastered. Uh, I like a good surprise every now and then. It's hard to do in the age of the internet, but he did it. You know, it was just a, a night where, oh, hey, by the way, there's a record coming out at midnight. Uh, yeah. So they're all numbered and untitled, as the title suggest, suggests, ironically enough. Uh, but... Yeah, 08 uh, was one of my favorites on it. Uh, next up for me is a band called Islands. Uh, the uh, the one guy in it, people would probably know best, uh, the leader of the band, because he did the music for the podcast Serial. Um, uh-uh, okay. But he was in a band called The Unicorns back in the early aughts that I was a big fan of, and uh, the Islands has released like seven or eight great albums. Uh, this They actually released two albums this year. This is from the one, Should I Remain Here at Sea? It's called Fear. All right. Uh, I go to Wilco, Someone to Lose, which, uh, unfortunately, I love Stephen Colbert. I just wish his stuff stayed on the internet longer. Uh, yeah, they did or, a great version of this on his show. Yeah, so that, it's it's good. It's very good on the record. I, I liked it even more. Um 
So if you're, you know, a good user of the internet, you might be able to track it down somewhere. Uh, <laughs> that that version. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how fast his content comes down. I don't know yeah. why that is, but yeah, whole... I think they just try to sell a, a subscription to like get back into the archives. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, I was gonna save this one for last, but I guess I think it follows up Wilco pretty well. Um, this is from my favorite record of the year, David Bowie's Black Star. Um, with Lazarus, which is the sort of centerpiece of the album, and uh, was also the last music video that Bowie made before passing away. Um, yeah. What's next for you? Uh, let's see. Uh, Radiohead, Dex Dark. Uh, you tweeted this either earlier today or yesterday that they have no business still being this good, but <laughs> they are. Uh, that that that's all I really got to say about that. Uh, side conversation <laughs> here. Where does this rank in your uh, in your Radiohead album enjoyment? Uh I mean, so I don't want to go too like recency bias on it, but man, it's up there. I it, I said it was number three or number four. Yeah, it 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 might be, which is crazy. It is again. They have no business being this good at this point in their career. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's OK Computer, Kid A, and then this, I think. In terms nice. of a full album presentation, you know, I think that's that's where my tastes go. All right, uh, next up for me is a, uh, a Jersey band, Symbols Eat Guitars. I don't know if you're familiar with those guys. They're, they're pretty great. Um, they released an album this year called Pretty Years, and the song I'm picking is called Fourth of July, Philadelphia, and the word Sandy is in parentheses. Nice. Okay. I gotta I need to learn more about them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um I've heard the name of another friend who's a big fan. I gotta yeah, I gotta delve in. I don't know if I'll like them, but I gotta at least uh I think you would enjoy them. Based on knowing what you yeah. what, what, what you would what you appreciate, you know. Yes. Uh, so next up for me is a song called Mr. Beat. I've talked about this band multiple times, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, I picked that song because that entire record never stops. So it's not necessarily my favorite part of the big piece, uh, but it's the one track that ends and doesn't sound totally awkward. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> every track flows in to the next one and the last track on the record if you play it on repeat flows into the beginning of the first so it's just it's a continuous thing uh but yeah mr beats and it's a nice little like slow down in the middle of it and it has it's it's the one part where the drummers might there's two drummers uh they might get to breathe <laughs> um i think i saw they have a new album coming out in january Supposedly the first of five, but yes. The first of five this year? I mean, next yes. year? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that That's some dedication, man. Um, all right. Uh, next for me is by far the saddest album I listened to all year from uh, Connor Oberst's new record, Ruminations. Uh, the first track, Tachycardia, is, uh, is great. Very, very sad, though. Do not listen to it if you've had a bad day. Yeah. That sounds right about up his alley. Oh yeah, absolutely. The first Which track, is okay. you yeah, need that, you need that kind of music. Exactly. The, the, that track is about his um, 
since debunked rape allegation. Okay. So it's, you know, sunny material. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, this is slightly cheerier. <laughs> uh, and that, this is a band that's uh, rel- well, they're relatively new to everybody, but relatively new to me. Uh, a band called Big Thief. Uh, the song called Masterpiece off the album by the same name. Really uh, just solid song that that caught my attention enough that uh, you know, I I threw it on here, so uh, I would check them out. Yeah, uh, what number is that for you? Uh, t- t- that was eight, was eight out of ten. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, there's a, an instrumental guitar album I really like from this year by a guy named Glenn Jones, and the album's called Fleeting. And uh, it's it's really peaceful. It's my like when I get up really early before anyone else is up in the house. I'm drinking coffee. This is what I'm listening to. Uh, the track is called Portrait of Basho as a Young Dragon. Okay. That's a good song name. Good it song. is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's an instrumental like acoustic guitar, so it's it's not uh it's, it's an odd choice, but you know, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I uh nine for me. And it's not it, it's playlists, you know, it's not really rankings, but just Right, uh, yeah. For clerical purposes, uh, I walked for miles off Dinosaur Junior's record that came out this year. Um, you know, I've I've had the uh, I was fortunate to see them three times in the last calendar year, uh, and the second and third times were you know heavily based on this record, and uh, they're still doing what they do. They do it well, and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with um, a song by John K. Sampson. He used to lead a band called The Weaker Thans that broke up earlier this year. It's from his solo album called Winter Wheat, and the song was called 17th Street Treatment Center. All right. It's a sad song, too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm letting my uh, my 2016 influence this list too much. but. <laughs> uh, and then wrapping up mine, Parquet Courts. Uh, Berlin got Blurry, uh, another band relatively new to me i i hadn't realized that i was actually at uh when i was at wilco's festival a couple years back almost now um they were there i i didn't see them there so i hadn't realized i had been in a place where i had the opportunity to see them before uh but i finally caught them for the first time uh just a couple weeks ago and this is uh this is one of the like they, they have a variation of style but this is a one of their faster songs they're never really super slow but this right, is certainly right. one of their faster songs so yeah those are those are my 10 most of them are bands that have been around for a while but two are bands that have not been around for that long um and, and yeah so that's 10 for me and uh finishing up with you i feel like i've only said nine Hang on, let me count myself here. One, two, three, four, five, six. No, I've, I said I did nine. This is ten. You're right. Um, all right, I'm between two, so I'm I'm trying to uh, make my uh, my decision here. All right, we're gonna go with uh, I'm a huge fan of the band Ween. They did not release an album this year, but their guitar player Dean Ween and his band the Dean Ween Group did. And this is sort of a princey, uh, really fun, excited jam called Mercedes Benz. 
So that will be a nice way to uh, end out the mix tape there. So yeah, check out the link in the show notes, and we'll tweet it out later uh, tomorrow as well to let everybody know. And um, yeah, are we, are we doing a show next week, Chris? You think? I I I don't see why not. Yeah, I'm, I'm game. We'll say we'll say probably. Yeah, probably. So this if prob- it doesn't happen, don't don't hold us, you know, to it. But yeah, uh, there's a good chance. Yeah, maybe we'll get some of the old pals on the show, and we'll just do a sort of more freeform show. Yeah, yeah, that's a plan. All right, well, um, happy holidays, everybody. Hey Mets fans, Steve Seiper here, and I'm going to continue our discussion of the Mets' top 25 prospects for 2017. So next on our list is number three, left-handed pitcher Thomas Zapucky. A little background information on him. He was drafted out of high school in the fifth round of the 2015 draft. He only got into three games with the GCL Mets that year, so his 2015 stats are pretty irrelevant. Fast forward to 2016, and Zapucky was all business. Uh, he rubbed some coaches in the organization the wrong way regarding his maturity, but um, he put in you know a lot of work in spring training, and he really changed some minds. And you know, let's be real, as a twenty-year-old kid, you know it happens. They're not always the most mature people. So he started the season with Kingsport, and he made five starts there, and he pitched the tune of an extremely impressive 0.62 ERA over 29 innings, walking nine batters and striking out 47. He was promoted to Brooklyn midseason, and he made four starts there before unfortunately getting shut down due to a back issue. Um, With the Cyclones, he posted a 2.35 ERA over 23 innings, with 11 walks and 39 strikeouts. He was uh, so dominant in 2016 at Kingsport and Brooklyn because he has a pitching repertoire that has two above-average pitches, and he throws them from a uh, low three-quarters arm slot, which batters at lower levels of the minor leagues generally have more trouble picking up on. So his fastball sits 92 to 95 and tops out at 97, which is you know premium velocity for any pitcher, but especially a left-hander. And he gets plus movement on the pitch thanks to his uh, funky arm slot. He has an abo- a sweeping curveball that flashes, you know, above average at times, and it's it's seventy six to eighty one miles per hour. And he also uh, has a third pitch uh, changeup that sits in the low eighties, and it's actually a little underrated. Uh, Royce Ring, who is his pitching coach in Kingsport, you know, encouraged him to throw it a little more. Uh, and he did that in Brooklyn um, when he worked with Ron Romanik to tweak the grip a little bit, and he really turned that pitch into an effective weapon against right-handed hitters. He still needs to learn to repeat his mechanics a little better and uh, use his, the same arm speed with the changeup that he uses for the fastball so he doesn't telegraph the pitch, but, you know, that's what the minor leagues are for, for developing your pitches. Uh, he should start the season in Columbia, assuming that the lower back issue cleared up and there isn't anything major there. Um, so I'd like to see him develop the changeup a little bit more in Columbia and really just get more innings underneath his belt. You know, he only has a grand total of 52 innings thrown in 2016. So, you know, if he can get to that, you know, around that 100 pitch threshold for 2017, that'd be great.
Next up on our list is our number two prospect, right-handed pitcher Rob Gazelman. A uh, little background information on him. He's drafted in the 13th round of the 2011 draft out of high school. Uh, he posted solid numbers pretty much everywhere in the organization that he played, but the biggest knock on him, generally speaking, were that he was uh, tallying low strikeout totals despite throwing you know, low 90s fastball and uh, having a pretty good curveball, you know, average flashed plus at times. But during the offseason and during spring training, he really put in a lot of work and transformed himself as a pitcher. Uh, he's able to add some velocity to his fastball, getting to pitch to average 94 miles per hour, which is where he used to top out at, and getting it to touch as high as 98 at least once. He added a slider to his arsenal, which he took to really quickly, to the point that it was flashing plus despite only being thrown for a couple of months. And the addition of the slider had a secondary effect of improving his curveball, which, like I said, was already a solid pitch that flashed plets itself. So, you know, you take all that and you wrap it up in a sturdy 23-year-old pitching frame, and you've got not only the Mets' second-best prospect, but honestly, you know, a top 100 prospect in all of baseball. I don't know if he's going to get the respect that I think he's due, but, I mean, if you look at some of the non-elite right-handed pitchers that are probably going to appear in most top 101 lists, um, guys like Grant Holmes, Luis Ortiz, Brent Honeywell, Phil Bickford, Mitch Keller, um, you know, Gazelman's 2016 stats and the stuff, you know, really match up favorably. He still has work to do. I mean, um, he throws a change-up, but it needs to, you know, develop more. And he needs to get more innings underneath his belt. Uh, he's never thrown more than 150 in a season. But, you know, he as, as he showed in his cup of coffee in 2016, he is ready for the big time. Top prospect for 2017, shortstop Ahmed Rosario. A little background information on him. He was signed as an international free agent in 2012 out of the Dominican Republic. Um, he signed for... $1.75 million, which is 450000 more than the team gave Fernando Martinez back in 2005. The Mets are obviously very high on him, but the uh, consensus throughout baseball wasn't. Uh, pretty much everyone agreed that he would be a shortstop um, because, you know, he's very good instincts, very athletic, has a very strong arm and soft hands, but evaluators and scouts are split as to whether or not he'd be able to hit um, or that his swing would limit him to being a low-average player. Uh, since then, uh, he's pretty much held his own, or more, at every stop of the minors, hitting around league average despite being the youngest player to play in the Appalachian League in 2013, uh, the New York Penn League in 2014, and the Florida State League in 2015. Um, in 2016, this past season, once again, he was the youngest player in the league, um, but he didn't just hold his own, he had a career year. Uh, he reported the spring training leaner and stronger after spending the uh, winter working out back home and got up to a really quick start in the second season with St. Lucie. Uh, he hit 309, 359, 442 in 66 games with them, and he's promoted to Binghamton uh, early in the summer. And he hit even more impressive 341, 393, 481 in 54 games against Tumper Competition. Um. He got it done pretty much because well, he just has all the tools. Uh, <laughs> he showed uh, excellent hand-eye coordination. He has quick wrists and above-average bat speed. Um, this season he hit the ball with a lot more authority than he did in years past, especially to um, his pull side. 
His swing can get a little long sometimes due to an unusual hand path uh, that's caused by how high he holds the bat, but so far he's been able to prevent pitchers from exploiting it, and obviously this past season he had a career year despite it. And he also turned himself into an excellent runner, uh, improving on his home-to-first speeds, um, stretching more singles into doubles, and stealing uh, more bases. So, as Rosario himself says, hashtag, don't be surprised, be ready. So, I hope all of our listeners enjoyed our uh, countdown of the Mets' top 25 list, and I look forward to composing another one next season. So, this is Steve Seipa, and thanks everyone for listening. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you for listening thanks to chris and steve for finding the time this week to be part of the show and thank to you thanks to all of you for your continued support this year we really appreciate it you can find the show on itunes on stitcher on your podcatcher of choice wherever you listen please use that platform to rate review and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and so you can help spread the word about amazing avenue audio we would also love for you to be, to visit AmazingAvenue.com. Uh, things are slow there as well because it's just a kind of quiet time of year. But there's been some really insightful articles, some really fun um, sort of thought exercises that have gone up recently. I uh, strongly recommend you spend a little bit of time there while you're enjoying your holiday break wherever you are spending it. You can also find the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. And you can find the contributors from this week's show on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap, Chris is at Chris McShane, Steve is at Steve Saipa, and you can email us at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. So thank you all so much for listening. Happy holidays, and until next time, let's go Mets.